And the passage we're going to look at today is a true treasure in the scriptures, a passage that I gladly and often go back to consider what this means for my life. It's a difficult message, and at the same time, it's very easy. Uh, It's a message full of soul-searching as we think about our own life and how to put this into practice. It's a message that helps us to readjust our focus. What is life all about? What are we putting our, our eyes on? And it's a message about going back to the basics of the Christian life. The passage we're going to look at is in Philippians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. We'll have it on the screen as well. What does it mean to be spiritually mature? Uh, This message today talks about this. What does it mean to be spiritually mature? Uh, Well, what does it mean to be mature in our regular lives? Babies reach a a stage of maturity when they stop drinking milk and can eat solid food. Um, Teenagers think they've reached a level of maturity when they get their driver's license, and their parents think, no, not quite there yet. Uh, Lutherans uh, believe um, young people have reached a stage of maturity when they go through confirmation, uh, when they become full members of the Lutheran church. Um, Some think maybe it's the right to vote. Um, Many parents would say to their teenagers, uh, well, when you get a job, you take responsibility and you stop playing all those video games, you've reached a level of maturity. Um, In the English learner's definition, which I looked up uh, online yesterday, maturity means this, having or showing the mental and emotional qualities of an adult. That's a pretty good definition of maturity. What does it mean to be spiritually mature? Uh, Hebrews 5.14 talks about this. It says their solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Mature Christians have learned as they consider God's word and how it applies to their life to be able to discern what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, and make the right choices. Our passage that we're going to look at today, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 12, is ended by Paul, uh, and Paul says the following about this. All who are mature should think this way. All mature Christians should have the same focus that I'm describing in these words. Maturity, according to Paul in our passage, is a person, or a mature Christian, is a person who is preoccupied with coming to know Jesus Christ. A person who is preoccupied throughout his life to come to know Jesus Christ better. So the central questions we're going to pursue in our sermon this morning is how do we get to know Jesus better based on what Christ said, uh, based on what Paul said and uh, the life of uh, following Christ. So let me read this passage to you, uh, verse 7 uh, through verse 12. I'm going to pray and then we'll talk about the passage. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, 
not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I, su I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead, not that I've already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us this morning and that you would help us to refocus our life on coming to know Jesus who knows us. We pray in his name. Amen. So the central question for us today is how do we come to know Jesus Christ better? The first thing that Paul brings up in verse 7 is, first of all, we need to set aside all forms of self-righteousness, all forms of self-achievement. Verse 7, he says, but everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. In that passage, Paul opposes Christians who are fake Christians, uh, they say that, yes, they believe in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, but also you need to rely on your achievements, on your performance according to the Old Testament law. The law was never, the Old Testament law was never intended to produce salvation, but much rather to reveal the need of a Savior. So Paul opposes them very strongly. He calls them dogs. He calls them uh, those who have mutilated the flesh uh, because what they're preaching is no gospel at all. They're completely missing the mark. When you say that you need Jesus Christ and something else and you need to rely on living a good life and you need to rely on following all the Christian traditions, then you have not understood the gospel at all. Paul concludes that whoever um, relies on something else than the gospel uh, does not understand the good news. The gospel means that we trust in Jesus Christ and his work alone. Imagine that your life is uh, recorded in a book from the day of your birth to the day of your death. Everything you've ever done and you will ever do is recorded in a book, including all the sins we've committed. And uh, this book... Uh, is laying like a heavy bur burden on your life. Uh, as you're trying to reach God, anything you do, every law that you try to abide by, all the even Christian traditions you try to rely on, does not work because all these sins separate you from a perfect God. So God did out of his love what we could not do. Uh, he sent Jesus Christ, fully God, to become man. He lived a perfect life in our world, and on the cross, he laid all of our sins on himself, so that now, as a free gift, I can come to God by not relying on my performance, but by placing my faith in Jesus Christ. That is the true gospel. And Paul says, whatever is gained to me, anything that I would rely on for my own self-righteousness before God, is a loss because it means I have not understand, understood the gospel. 
So the first step of coming to know Christ is letting go all self-righteousness. It's a time of soul-searching to find out where do we stand? Have we truly understood the gospel? Um, we're not uh, Jewish Christians 2,000 years ago who are still trying to hold on to the Old Testament law. But I think today it especially applies to people who've been born into the church, second-generation Christians, third-generation Christians, who grow up with all the knowledge but have, might have never fully grasped what it means to trust Christ for our salvation. So all of us who've grown up in the church and have followed all the tradition need to ask ourselves, what am I relying on? Is it only Christ, or am I relying also on my performance? I need to consider every single loss compared to trusting in Jesus Christ for my salvation. And it's also a call for all of us who have children or grandchildren to not grow tired to explain this gospel of grace to the second generation and third generation coming up in the church so they never misunderstand that salvation is only achieved by trusting in Christ alone. So the first thing Paul says is, you need to let go of all reliance on yourself. But everything was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Um, we had a co-worker in Berlin where we were in church planting. We started full-time ministry in 1999. That's when we moved from Texas to Berlin to be part of a church plant through 2005. And one of our co-workers, her name was Carol Hall, um, she came into full-time ministry when she was already retired. She had grown up in the church. Uh, her husband passed away. And it was at old age in retirement when she realized for the first time that salvation is by grace alone. She told the story. She had grown up in the church. She heard the gospel over and over again. And yet it took her all her life until retirement age to finally grasp the meaning of the gospel. And in her retirement, she was called into full-time ministry and came and joined us for several years in this church planting ministry. So soul-searching is in place and a diligence to preach the gospel to our children and grandchildren in the church. The second thing that Paul explains here is not only do we set aside all self-righteousness, but also any other distraction that would cause us to get our eyes off of Jesus Christ. He says here in verse 8, More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ. He talks about everything as a loss. Everything, not only simply self-righteousness, but anything that will cause him to get his eyes off of following Jesus Christ. He considers them filth. The word used here is really anything that you would normally throw in the trash or in the toilet. Uh, he says, anything that would cause me to not have this focus is trash. I consider it filth. It is worthless. I need to set it aside. In order to gain what? The surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. It reminds me of the story of the treasure in the field that you all know. A man finds a treasure worth more than anything in a field. He sells everything he has because everything else he has is worthless compared to this one treasure and to receive it. Knowing Christ is that treasure we give up everything for. Uh, eternal life. What is eternal life all about? Jesus Christ explains it in John 17, 3. This is eternal life 
that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Eternal life is all about knowing God. Knowing God means that we are in a relationship with him. John 14, 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. God has come into our lives through the Holy Spirit so that he would make his home with us. It's a relationship that we've received. And the core of that relationship is pursuing to come to know God better. Think about the Old Testament saints who long for this relationship. One day in your courts is, a, is better than a thousand anywhere else. As a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Joshua remained in the tent of meeting because he wanted to meet with God. Think about the first commandment that Jesus gives us and that we should pursue more than any other commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We're supposed to love God. This is not put into practice by simply working for God. He did not save us so that we can be workers for him. He can quite easily accomplish everything on his own. He saved us so that we would be with him and have a relationship with him. We're supposed to love him. And the core of that is coming to know him better. That is why Paul says everything else to that and everything else to coming to know Jesus Christ better is worthless. Knowing Christ has a surpassing value. It's an interesting application that we can make uh, to marriage. Uh, we get married because we fall in love and we love each other, and especially before we get married, we're excited about getting to know the other person, and then maybe over the years, we're getting to know that person, and there comes a time maybe where we're not really that interested to get to know the other person more, and that should be a danger sign. How do you rekindle love for your spouse in marriage? Well, the central aspect of loving God is getting to know him better. That also means for marriage, one essential aspect of loving your spouse is getting to know your spouse better. Spending time throughout your lifetime, getting to know the one you love in this world better. That is what we're supposed to do in our pursuit of God. Now, what are the things that hold us back in this pursuit? Culture has a powerful effect to uh, cause us to get distracted. Culture can be a strong force to cause us to keep our eyes off of Jesus. Uh, in a culture with persecution, at the time of Paul, it was persecution that caused Christians to maybe reconsider their faith. It was the pressure of uh, being thrown to prison and being killed. And Paul encourages the Christians to keep their eyes on Christ. The Philippians were experiencing that. Uh, cultures of poverty, people struggle simply for survival. And it might be just making everyday work uh, might be the cause for people just to say, I just don't have time uh, to keep my eyes on Christ. We live in a culture of comfort, of wealth. And I think it causes us very easily to become self-absorbed or to spend much time protecting our comfort zone and keeping our eyes of Christ and following him. Culture can be like a sedative. Uh, have you ever tried uh, having a quiet time and a prayer time in your bed? 
uh, it's evening, you're tired from the day, uh, you lay down on a very soft mattress, you dim the lights, you put on soft hymnal music, uh, you have a nighttime tea beside your bedstand, and close your eyes, and then you're going to try to have a very intense quiet time. It doesn't really work that way. And culture can be like that. It can be a sedative, something that causes us to just not have Christ in our minds. Um, a great many things can get us sidetracked in our culture. One, we can be consumed by self-achievement. These are works not to please God, we have that down, but works to please ourselves in a sense. Works that cause us to uh, receive a sense of self-worth. Maybe we're consumed by trying to build a monument for ourselves. Of course, that's, we're not getting to take that with us into heaven or anything else we're making in this world. But it is easy in our world, where much is possible to acquire wealth, to be absorbed with creating uh, a monument to ourselves and achieve self-worth from that. can be a strong distraction. Uh, Larry Crabb, uh, a famous counselor, wrote the book The Pressures Off. And he uh, talks about his own life in this, in, in this book. And for him, uh, ministry was that distraction. The sensation and the self-satisfaction he had to be famous, uh, to be an author and a speaker, and to be an incredible minister. Um, and he writes in this book how he had a wake-up call to realize finally that life is not about having a fulfilling ministry. It's again to go back to the basics and pursuing Christ. Well, if ministry can be a distraction, really any other job we pursue it can certainly be a distraction. Another thing that uh, can cause us to uh, keep our eyes on, off of Christ are simply the enjoyments of life, keeping ourselves busy with the things that are enjoyable. In short, the temporary things of life, the temporary goals of life, well, the first answer we get uh, about these temporary goals of life that keep our eyes off of Christ, we receive in the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Great book. If you haven't read it, you should read through it. Uh, it's a book written by King Solomon, who had it all. It's a book written to us in a culture of wealth and comfort. Uh, Solomon had all the wealth uh, in the world. He was a rich king. He was very skillful in any job he put his hands on. He had all the pleasures of life available to him at any moment. He had done it all and achieved it all. And in Ecclesiastes, he says over and over again, um, it's a grasping after the wind. It's worthless. Ecclesiastes 2.11 2, says, When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing, nothing to be gained under the sun. In the end, all the temporary things of life, all the achievements in life that we can pursue, and King Solomon was able to do it all, he says, it wasn't worth it. What's the second part of that answer? That second part is given to us by Paul. What do we replace our temporary goals in life with? It is this passion, uh, this pursuit of coming to know Jesus Christ better. I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Loving God as its core 
is a relationship with God in which we pursue coming to know him better. That's what God saved us for. That's why he wants us to be his children. That's why he wants us to live with him and devote our lives to him. He is interested in us, not in our product. He's interested in our relationship with him. How do we now pursue this coming to know Jesus Christ better? What do we do about this? What is the path to take? Uh, Paul explains it uh, in uh, uh, the next verse, verse 10. Let's see, verse 10 and 11. Here's what he says. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Um, when I was preparing the sermon last night, uh, Colby, my middle son, came into the room, and he wanted to get on my computer. And I was on the computer, uh, taking a break, uh, cruising the Internet. And he says, well, stop wasting your time. You've got to get on with your sermon and prepare it. And uh, I told him, well, I'm, it's a creative process, and I have to take creative breaks uh, from thinking about my sermon. <laughs> and he didn't believe me. Um, but as I was uh, cruising the internet, uh, I looked up some verses on maturity. I thought I could share some funny verses on maturity. Well, the discovery I made, there's not a lot of funny verses about maturity. There's more a lot of sad verses about maturity. Uh, one of the interesting, more interesting ones I found is the following. My level of maturity depends on whom I'm with. My level of maturity depends on who I'm with. Well, very true in real life. Uh, but also very true for the spiritual life. Uh, God calls us to a life of maturity as we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ and pursue to come to know him better more than anything else. But how do we do that? Uh, I would call it by following Jesus on the way to the cross. Following the footsteps of Jesus Christ on the way of the cross. See what Paul says, my goal is to know him to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. He wants to experience the power of the resurrection at the end of his life when he dies, but also throughout his life. Well, how does he get to know it? He prays for sharing his sufferings, something we don't normally pray about, but Paul desires to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. How? By becoming conformed to the death of Jesus Christ. How do you become conformed to the death of Jesus Christ? Uh, think about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. On the cross, Jesus, in his love for the Father, obeyed the Father's will. Even if it was the most difficult thing for him to do, he was willing, out of the love for the Father, to obey the Father and lay down his life. And on the way to the cross, on the cross, Jesus showed his love for us by willing to sacrifice himself so that we receive eternal life. On the cross, uh, the love of Jesus to the Father is revealed and the love of Jesus to us is revealed. Following Jesus on the way of the cross, becoming conformed to his death, means that we follow Jesus Christ by loving the Father and accepting any sacrifice he might call us to make in our lives um, and he all takes us on different paths with different types of sacrifices we have to make. Um, out of our love for the Father, we are willing to obey him and follow him, whatever it takes. Um, 
and of our love for others, we're willing to lay down our life. It's the two commandments that Jesus gives us. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Following Jesus on the way of the cross means exactly that. It's our example. Uh, and when Paul prays, uh, let me be conformed to his death, that is what he prays for. What is the sacrifice that God might call you to make as you consider uh, what this means? What sacrifice of time? What sacrifice of self-achievement or self-worth? What sacrifice of humility? What sacrifice of wealth? What is God calling you to do as you follow him out of, your, out of the love for the Father and the love for others in your own life? We all have a different story and all have, diff- have to make different sacrifices at different points in our lives. But following Jesus on the way of the cross, becoming conformed to him, um, means exactly that. For Paul, it meant to stay faithful in prison. He was in prison as he wrote the letter, and he rejoices that he's not denying Christ in prison. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's okay. For Paul, it meant laying his life down for the faith of the Philippians. He says, it's okay for me to be a drink offering for the sake of your faith. Um, the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus, a helper, to help Paul. He got sick on the way and almost died. And he was willing, for the sake of ministry, to even risk his own life. Following Jesus on the way of the cross, that's what it meant for Epaphroditus, being willing to become sick in ministry. What does it mean for us? Jesus told the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Uh, That was the initial calling of our salvation. That was the initial calling of the disciples. And that continues to be the calling throughout our lifetime. Coming to know Jesus, in other words, words, involves living the life of Jesus. We pursue coming to know Christ better by embracing his lifestyle. There are several implications for our lives as we consider this. First of all, it's impossible to come to know Jesus Christ by simply acquiring knowledge. Uh, God wants us to dwell on his word and to get to know him better in his word, but that's not the end of the story. What we read, we then need to put into practice throughout our lives, and as we experience its life, that is how we come to know him. Um, Another implication is many Christians believe that the fullness of the Christian life is experienced uh, when we experience the supernatural. Uh, In short, if we are in the presence of supernatural happenings, or we receive them, or we can give them to others, and we do this as much as we can, that's the fullness of the Christian life. Heaven now, you could say. All the power of resurrection right now. It's a gospel of strength, you might say. Um, I was ministering in a church plant in Germany uh, several months ago before we came uh, here, and uh, they experienced a church split between their leadership. And one of the group, uh, one group in that church plant um, had been listening to certain teachings that said that the experience of sickness uh, is wrong, that there is nothing good God can teach us in the experience of of sickness. God wants us to be healthy all the time, and we are healthy when we accept his resurrection power and apply it to our lives. 
and um, the church split over that. It was a small church plant. How do we experience resurrection power based on this passage? Jesus, uh, Paul says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming conformed to his death. When did Jesus experience the power of the resurrection? After going through the cross. You all know the passage. When we are weak, God's power can be revealed in us. It is in our times of weakness when we do not feel powerful, when we are not strong in ourselves, that we or God has an opportunity to reveal his greatness, his resurrection power in us. It means that um, uh, spiritual maturity is not necessarily found in those who are most obvious. It might be in the people we never recognize. Spiritual maturity is not necessarily found in those who have it all. Uh, we might have it all and yet be beginners at this quest of coming to know Christ. And yet there's someone who has very little, and yet he's pursued that all of his life. He's given up everything for it. We're called to a life uh, that embraces the lifestyle of Christ. It is the way of the cross. And in our weakness and in our sacrifice, we experience his power. So as we conclude, what is maturity? It is, uh, who are, which people are mature? Christians who are preoccupied with coming to know Jesus Christ and how? By following Christ on the way of the cross. Uh, Kenneth Boa is a well-known author and uh, has written much about the spiritual life. I want to conclude the message with... Uh, um, Encouraging to maybe uh, get his book, Life in the Presence of God. He just published it. Life in the Presence of God by Kenneth Boa. And he um, encourages us to uh, uh, remind us to embrace a lifestyle that um, factors in God all throughout the day. And he gives all kinds of suggestions and practical advice and a workbook on how you can bring back God and the experience of his presence in your life through everyday living. And one of the suggestions he makes in this book, he says, look at every encounter throughout the day that you have with another person. Number one, assume God is working somehow in that person's life, wherever that may be. Assume God is doing something there. And secondly, ask yourself, is there some way I can share the love or the presence of Christ with this person? And as you follow Christ on the way to the cross, Loving God the Father and making yourself available and loving others, God can use you in the relationships and everyday encounters that you go throughout the day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul and his advice to us. It is like a window into Paul's heart. Um, he worked harder than any other apostle, he says. He uh, risked his life uh, in um, ministering to the body of Christ. But the one thing that drove him was to come to know Jesus Christ better. Lord, we pray that you would give us this focus, that you would sharpen our eyes, that we would deeply and passionately pursue that over and above any other goal we might have in life, because that's the core of loving you with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. In your name we pray, amen. Thank <laughs> you.